0: Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, this is Lisa Fine, and you're listening to Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network. I'm really excited to welcome Stacey Hanna, the General Counsel for Global Ethics and Compliance at Lanza. Welcome, Stacey. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Thank you, Lisa, for having me. Great. Um, So as we are talking about, a lot of attorneys who started in compliance come from a litigation or white-collar background. Um, You started your career in the corporate and M&A world. Can you talk a bit about your
1: evolution to ethics and compliance? Sure. So... It was probably less an evolution and more a trial by fire, but I will talk a little bit about um, what I have found to be in this industry, a a unique background coming from more of the business, corporate, and M&A side. Um, I did start my life at a big firm in New York doing just that and then went to Pfizer um, doing exactly the same thing in the corporate capacity. I did not get involved in ethics and compliance until... Um, a spinoff company that was a spinoff from Pfizer in 2011 was purchased by KKR. And as part of that uh, spinoff, I came into that company um, as the associate general counsel. And it was just myself and the general counsel. And we had a big job to do, which was really to build uh, a legal infrastructure from the ground up for the entire company. And it was just the two of us. And so we kind of divided and conquered up what we were going to do. And I remember one day he said, uh, we need to figure out how to build an ethics and compliance program because, of course, um, you know, being owned by a PE company, that was not going to be a forever thing. We were either going to go public or get sold. And in either case, we needed to build a best-in-class compliance program. And so we basically figured it out over the course of six years. Um, we did build one with the vision that we were going to be a public company. So we did build it towards um, that end. Uh, that's not actually what happened in 2017. We got sold to Lanza, which um, a lot of folks don't know Lanza. Here in the U.S., we have a very big presence, but they're a biotech pharma company, public company out of Switzerland. And as part of that acquisition, the General counsel of Lanza asked me to come on and um, take the compliance program for Lanza, which was the first dedicated compliance program that they've had. So they did have um, some compliance things in the works at the company, um, but my team and I came on and um, we are responsible globally for trade compliance, uh, anti-briber, anti-corruption, and antitrust at the company. And uh, we are the first uh, dedicated department at Lanza to do that.
0: Oh, so in in your current role, then, what um, is you know, sort of your, your your main roles and responsibilities? Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So as I said before, um, I don't know if this is wholly unique to our company, but. We do, we are responsible globally for, um, anti-bribery, anti-corruption, trade compliance, and antitrust. And so I do divide my team up, um, between or among actually all three of those kind of departments. So I have a group of people that kind of do the anti-bribery focus for me. I have a trade compliance group that's global. And then there's just a couple of us that actually focus on antitrust. So what I do on kind of a day-to-day basis is more the strategy around those three. Um, We're in the enhancement phase. So when we came in, Lonza had some great policies and procedures around um, ethics and compliance. And what we've been doing is kind of enhancing that. And building out the program, um, for example, building a third-party program around anti-corruption, building a global uh, trade compliance program when it was actually just regionally based. Um, we're doing things like that day in and day out. My team does a lot of the execution around that. And on a day-to-day basis, I'll do a lot of the strategy across all three. Because, of course, they all intersect but they're all regulated slightly differently. So there's different nuances to each one, but there's a lot of overlap in them in the company. So it's good to kind of have that person who does the strategy on a day-to-day basis. And that's mostly what I'll do. Absolutely, and one thing about
0: that, um, and also have you know your your path. Um, you, a lot of times when you speak with compli- other compliance officers or chief compliance officers, do you see yourself with a viewpoint that's more similar to um, people who came from a business, like a non-lawyer background, versus attorneys who came through with a, a litigation or a white-collar background? It seems like you'd be a bit of a hybrid in some ways. There,
1: absolutely, I think that you know, no, there's no one right way, obviously, to, to build and enhance a program or to run a program. But because of my background, I probably take a slightly different view than um, somebody who has compliance that comes from a white collar litigation background. Um, of course, all of us have the same goal, right, which is risk mitigation for the company, um, making sure that we have a very good risk based program for the company. I think what I do potentially a little bit differently. And where I think compliance can be very important is also in the other side of risk mitigation, which is to help the business grow as well. And I think that not everybody looks at it that way because it's not actually the easiest way to look at compliance, right? Compliance is a lot of the time under a legal department or a cost center, right? Um, And Mm -hmm. people don't naturally look to compliance and say, you're going to help us with business growth. But I think a lot of the times when you look at mitigating risk, there's the flip side to that that you can also look at, which is how can we do this and also help the business grow? So one example that I like to use is actually in trade compliance, and it's from my days at the prior company – um, and it's, in, it's a, an example of the sanctions that came down a few years ago from the EU and the U.S. against Russia. Um, at the time, our company had built a very robust compliance program across the world, but with a, a good focus on higher-risk areas, including Russia. And what we saw happen was everybody kind of, our competitors, everyone got hit with those trade sanctions, right? Right and and while our competitors were running around trying to figure out how they were going to still sell and ship and what they were doing in Russia we had already built this robust program i would like to say we had anticipated the sanctions we didn't of course but <laughs> we we were able we were a little bit lucky and and also um that you know we already had a good program in place we had a ton of communication with our folks in russia we had our expectations very firmly set with them we knew what was coming in and out of the country and what happened there A little bit because of that was that while our competitors were running around trying to figure out whether or not they could still sell in Russia and what they couldn't sell, we just moved forward very quickly, and within a two-year period, we doubled our revenue in Russia. Um, and, and that was a market for us where we had a lot of potential to grow, but if we had had to step back, given that those regulatory changes, we wouldn't have been able to grow our business there as quickly. So I think that's a good example for people to say, okay, when you're going and making sure you're mitigating risk, is there also something that you can do that potentially will help the business grow at the exact same time? So that's how I look at the department in, in two different ways.
0: Right. Yep, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Also, um, it seems like it really helps you build the trust and the partnership with your different stakeholders throughout, the, you know, the business, knowing that, you know, them having a comfort level with you looking at it that way.
1: You know, I think that's exactly right, Lisa. And I think in these times when everybody who's in an enabling function or, or in a what's seen by the business as a cost center, Every single article that you read from the head of compliance, every time they say, oh, we're, what's happening is everyone's getting budget cut, right? Everyone's g- getting lack of headcount. So what you can do to help with that is not have everybody view you all the time as a cost center, right? So there, there's a little bit about what you do on a day to day basis to help mitigate risk. But there's also, if you want to be able to do those things and put the right third party systems in and put the right systems in for your company, You have to get internal buy-in to do that. And you have to get the resources and the people and the money. And so it's very important how you position yourself, not only outside of the company, to investors and to other stakeholders, but how you position yourself inside the company is equally as important. And I think that if you can be that business partner at the same time that you're helping to mitigate risk, that's going to get you a lot farther than if you're just looking um, for something to always go wrong.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And as you know, I talked to you as, as in starting in a new role. That's one of the things that I look at. And I when I talk to you, it has really helped me you know, recrystallize, you know, how do I build those relationships and how those are critically important? So I think that that for those of you who are starting your careers or changing roles or things like that, I would definitely take this advice from Stacey. And it's really, really quite helpful for everybody. Just remembering how important those business relationships really are. Um, to be part of your, your management teams. Um, so thank you so much for that one. Um, another thing that I, you know, think is really, I found really unique about your background is that you have gone from a, the U.S.-based pharmaceutical company and then um, private equity. And, and now with Lanza you talked a little bit about that. And throughout that, you stayed and, and grew and developed your role and enhancing, as you put it, and growing a compliance and ethics program through lots of changes. Um, you talk a little bit about how those changes impacted you or what you were doing, um, just because it kind of ran through all of the different areas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, you know, any program that you build, enhance, take over um, needs to address the business risk of the company that you're at, and and every company is different. Every company is unique, of course. In the compliance space, some companies have similar geographical risk, right? Um, by virtue of just being in certain countries or they have similar risk by virtue of what they do, what products they produce. But every company has a unique culture. Um, every company has a program that should be tailored to exactly how you do business and how you both risk mitigate and help grow the business for that particular company. So if you're moving from company to company, or you're getting spun off and absorbed, like what happened to me, or if you're moving out of M&A corporate and into, um, the compliance space, you're always needing to kind of change how you do things. Um, I think that you can't just rely on having, you know, the same program at one company and then trying to match that exact same program at another company. I think it's really important to look at what the risks are to your company and where you see business growth at the company that you're at. Thanks. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. Thanks. And another thing, as as you're doing all these things, people talk and see the word either work-life balance or you know how to, how to handle all different things um, in one way. Um, you talk about your take on that. I like your take a lot. It's really really interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I would like to take credit for the take. It's actually, uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon's take, but, um, We well, both have done I, a wonderful job with it. We're gonna, we're gonna make sure we attribute this to him. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, uh, something that, uh, he came out with and I, and it actually really struck a chord with me because it's how I've always thought about it, which is, you know, I guess, uh, again, and I hope I don't get his words wrong, but, um, he said, you know, don't look at the work-life balance as two competing interests, right? Um, there's something he describes it like as a circle. Um, and I really feel that way about how you have to look at work and how you have to look at life. If you're constantly looking at them as competing, uh, no one is ever going to win. You're always going to feel like you're doing badly at one or the other. And I think um, this can be particularly interesting. And I'm saying this because I am a woman and because I am a mother. So um, I think this can be particularly unique and interesting for women who are in the workplace and women who, our, our mothers, because I think a lot of the times we're constantly feeling like we're doing that balance between, um, work and home. And I think if you start to look at it a little bit differently, that, um, you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. If you start to look at them as kind of two pieces of a whole, I think it's a lot um, easier for you to kind of reconcile the two. Um, and I think it's a lot easier for you to feel good about doing both at the same time. Um, and so I think for me, you know, that's been a really helpful evolution there on the work life balance front and not looking at them as competing interests, but looking at them as, as you, as your life, as everything kind of put together as one whole. Um, and if you're happy at one, Right. Then you're going to be happy at the other. And that's really just um, very important. You have to be happy in your role and what you're doing and what you're building at work. And I think that just translates back over to the to home.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, and I feel like throughout this conversation and all of ours, one of the, the big thing that kept theme that came up to me a lot was evolutions, whether it's with careers or roles or, you know, as you talked about life in general. So what do you see from a compliance standpoint as either the next evolution or even a revolution? You know, next one, two, five years. What, what's next?
1: So I think there's this is just such a hot area right now. I feel like if somebody had told me when I got out of law school I'd be doing this, um, that I never would have believed it because when I got out of law school, I won't even tell you how many years ago, it was not the hot area. But right now, it's it's just such a great area for people either coming out of law school or looking to change their career. What I see as an area that could use some improvement and where I think there's going to be a lot of focus is on the AI space in this area. And I know that's true for every industry could probably say the same thing, right? AI, AI is going to be the focus, but I think there's a lot of um, technology work in compliance that, that hasn't um, been looked at yet. I think there's a lot of movement in that area. I think there's a lot of things that can be done that a lot of companies um, who are providing services are not really looking at. I think the other kind of evolution will be, you know, a lot more people kind of coming out of law school or other similar backgrounds and going into this profession versus a lot of people that you talk to kind of didn't start in it. Uh, they, to use the word again, evolved into it. And I think that there's there's going to be some movement for people kind of coming out and saying, maybe I go m a maybe I go litigation, maybe I go straight into, you know, a compliance background. So I see that as as the movement as well. So on the tech piece and on the, the human kind of piece, that's where I see the movement over the next couple of years.
0: Great. And, and is there any other pieces of parting advice or something, you know, any other things you'd like to share before we go, Um, you know, um, just to follow up on anything else?
1: Yeah. I think that to say to folks, you know, if again, to go back to our, our theme, um, on the evolution um, every time I have an opening and I have a posting I get so many people that apply for these jobs that have never done compliance before and I think that it's an area that is um, is great if you're deciding that you want to change around what you've been doing change around your career do something different um, it's a very interesting area it's you um, I know I guess it's interesting to say that anything in in legal is overly exciting, but it it is actually. I mean, I think there's some really great, um, exciting things in this area. And I think just for people to know that if it's something you want to get into, um, it's that area of the law where you can make a switch mid-career. You can do it differently and uh, you should do it and definitely um, try to make that leap if it's something you're interested in.
0: Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, Thanks, Stacey. It's really to you. And again, this is um, Lisa Fine on behalf of Mary and Shirley and I. um, This is the Great Women in Compliance podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.